1: Jumping up to the top of today's podcast to let you know that Russell and Mark discussed some pretty heavy topics in this episode, and may be triggering to some listeners. If you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org, or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. Please look after yourself. I'm I Boris, and
0: this is Straight Talk. At one stage, I was using $1,500 a day of heroin.
1: Russell Manza is a survivor. A perpetrator's greatest weapon is his victim's silence and shame.
0: I came from the mud.
1: He tucked away his demons and lived a life of robbing banks across Sydney during the 80s. Until eventually found himself serving time in prison. But those demons grew even louder. You know, I went through the notorious Derek Boys' home. I
0: Also at 16 years old, I was sent to Long Bay Prison and I was sexually abused in both these places. I'm a big believer in a problem shared is a problem halved, but I'd like to think that I'll be part of a system that can change all that where they get what they deserve. I'm creating my own justice by talking about it.
1: Russell Manser, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's a dead set pleasure to be here. One of my favourite podcast series. Thanks, mate. Um, Straight Talk's about things that, generally speaking, people don't talk about. Um, But to kick it off, I think let's just put a baseline there. What is Russell Manza doing right now?
0: Oh, man, I'm passionate about helping survivors of, uh, institutional sexual abuse. I think, um, being a survivor myself, um, I know the problems that it caused me and, you know, and the problems it was causing me until I, you know, I got the proper, the proper, you know, treatment to deal with it. Just a bit of a background on my own. I, I, I um, I, I, I got sentenced, I stole a car when I was a 14-year-old kid and that was just misguided and misled. Uh, ended up in a notorious Derek Boys' Home, which is the subject of a 60-minute story, and um, the there was prolific sexual and physical abuse there and I didn't escape it. So I uh, started a trajectory of drug abuse and ex, an escalation of crime. And uh, institutional abuse could be anything from a boys' home, girls' home, Catholic school, private school, any type of... T- Churches of all denominations, uh, foster care, uh, fax docs, um, any anything when it is uh, an expectation of a person or a, uh, or people
1: to make sure that child's safe. So now, your business or your um, foundation or your organisation organisation yeah. yeah. is a place where victims yeah. of sexual abuse in institutions, whatever yeah. the institution be, yeah.
0: They come through us, and they seek out compensation. And obviously, one of the big things is apology letters from the uh, from the institution that took part in, in covering up the abuse. Um, we provide uh, wraparound support. We make sure they're being t- treated by dignity and respect, and, uh, and not being robbed by unscrupulous lawyers. And you know, everyone knows the law game. Um, there's a lot of uh, unscrupulous people in them sort of thing that will take advantage. We're making sure they're not being taken advantage again. We oversee that from the point of um, making sure they've got support um, through, uh, you know, any sort of contact with uh, barristers, lawyers, psychiatrists, psychologists. Um, we go to mediation with them. Um, we actually take the initial statement. We, we create a safe place where they feel comfortable with telling their story uh, of, of abuse, what happens. And it's reported by the lawyers themselves that they tend to have a tendency of talking to us a lot more freely and a lot more easily about what happened to them than they would with a law, a lawyer that's got a a suit and a collar on a, a tie on. And sitting you know. behind a desk. Yeah, sitting behind in a chambers. desk.
1: chambers. Yeah, in chambers. It's not it's a comfortable place. It's a scary joint. It was like yeah. an institution in itself. For sure. So your organization, let's say someone was abused, let's say 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, they come to you to and you sort of project manage them. I guess, in some respects, through the process. Yeah. Do you direct them into lawyers? And, yeah, yeah, what we do is we'll find a law firm,
0: like not all law, like they, there's certain law firms that might have runs on the board for certain institutions. Someone Say, for instance, Derek Boisone, Mount Penang Boisone, I'd have three or four lawyers that I'd have a tendency of centre because they've got runs on the board for getting results from those institutions. Might be Boys Town, the Boys Town, Ref Downey in Queensland and Dean in New South Wales. There'd be other law firms that would have good runs on the board, good form. And good figures for getting uh, results for them sort of clients, and good treatment too, which is which is first and foremost for us. You know what I mean? I say this, you know, they've got to treat him with dignity and respect. If they don't, we'll move them somewhere else.
1: There's been a lot being said. We recently saw a UFC fighter um, talk about how his friend had committed suicide because he wouldn't go, he hadn't got, wasn't prepared to go and tell his story, and, yeah. uh, and that was only last in the last couple of weeks. Um, is it uh, prevalent amongst let's call them victims for the moment, they hold on to this guilt or- That's shame,
0: Mark. Shame. shame. That's shame. That's what it is. All their life. It is. On average, it takes 30 years for a male to come forward and tell their story. On average, um, and I say this, one of the things I talk about to survivors, and that's what I call them, survivors, um, is a perpetrator's greatest weapon is his victim's silence and shame, you know, and for myself- I carried a backpack of stuff that didn't belong to me. That's the shame itself, the guilt, embarrassment, and a whole heap of anger that were just self-destructive sort of feelings and behaviors, you know what I mean? So when I tell my story, and I like to share, and I like to do a lot of podcasts, and I like to get my story out as much as with the hope that I can put a a survivor at ease to tell their story, because it's a healing process. The more I tell my story, the more I heal. So a lot of them carry this off, you know. In, in particular, I, I didn't tell my story. I, I was abused at the age of fourteen, fifteen, the first time, and I didn't tell my story and say that was nineteen eighty two, and I didn't tell my story until two thousand and fourteen. Wow! To, to the Royal Commission, I told. It's a funny story. Like I was on, I was on a plane on the way to um, Perth, and I was reading a book called Sleepers, an old, an old scallywag in prison. Um. I remember the movie. Yeah, great movie. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm book. I'm reading this book on the way on the way plane to Perth, and uh, it was about Sleepers. Is about a movie about kids that got abused in an institution, and they go and square up on the abusers. And they, did, as a result of doing a, a really stupid prank.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they actually end up killing someone. Yeah, they or someone pushed like a
0: trolley down de- a set of stairs yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a prank, and it killed some. So um, I was reading this book. And this bloke read over my, looked over my shoulder and he goes, "Oh, that's a great book." That and, and for some reason, I just squirted it out and I said, "Yes, the story of my life." And he goes, "Really, really," and he sort of leant forward and he had a bit of a chat to me. He told me I was from the Royal Commission Institution Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. I said, "What's that entail?" And he told me what it was about. And So he just planted a seed. Nothing came of it there and then, and he planted a seed in in, in my head. And then, um, long story short, I ended up getting the last bank I robbed was in two thousand and fourteen. The party was over but I kept on turning up under 10 and that's that's basically the theory of Robin banks they were gone by then there was no money in them. all the security measures in the world I think I got 10 grand out of it and um I got tackled by a bunch of super citizens as I come out and uh and it was funny you know one bloke said to me one of the super citizens said I most probably just saved your life and uh I went to uh I went to Southport Wash House on the Gold Coast and uh it was really funny you know all these young coppers were coming out it was like they'd seen a f- Tasmanian Tiger for the first time what was that ancient bank robbers you know and they are all coming peeping through windows and having a look they'd never seen a bank robber before and um, there was an old cop in there it was funny it was, it was like a movie scene and I went in they said mate you got to you know, do a record of interview it would be the best thing you've ever done and this old cop I just knew how this was going to react and this old cop was looking and sort of nodding at me knowing what my reaction was going to be and I said, I've never seen anyone moonwalk back into prison saying that that fucking record of interview of was the best thing I've ever done, you know. And he just started laughing. He goes, oh, I knew that was your reaction, you know. What I mean, and I winked down and I said, let, let me get out of here, you know. Went um to Arthur Gorey uh, correctional center on remand, and I had every intention, Mark. I had every intention of knocking myself. I was just so badly beaten. And I had the plan, and the plan was to use a coaxial cable for the TV to hang myself with. I was just and I was just gone. I was gone. and, and I'd really made comfort with it. I'd really made comfort with it. I was like, yeah, sweet. And I'll just leave a note, let me kids know that I love them. And I mean, cause I was, I was just sick and tired of hurting people. And, uh, and, and, and in particularly myself, I was just in a world of pain. And, um, I got to the prison, I got to the cell that night and the coaxial cable had been cut down by someone used, cause prisoners are so ingenious. They'd use a coaxial cable to make a lighter somehow, putting it in the PowerPoint, getting a spark to light a cigarette. So being cut down, I wouldn't wrap around my toe. And um, so the next morning, I wake up and the bloke's at my window. They've got like a thirty metre centre window on your door, a display window, so they can come and check on you at night. And he offered me drugs. He said, uh, "He said you want this? It'll put you." guys, "I know me and you have never seen eye to eye in the past." He said, "You want? You want? He said, "I'll give you this to sort of um, you know, make a peace deal." And I banged on the window. Uh, on, I suspected this bloke was a sex offender, and I banged on the window. I said, "No matter how bad I was going in life." I said, no matter how bad I felt. And I said, I couldn't take a thing off you, you know. And I just didn't realize what was going on here. And then I walked out the cell and I went downstairs and down on the table was a young bloke doing a psych degree, had his books out doing a psych degree. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I took your advice all those years ago. And he said, I've got an education. I'm doing a psych degree. And he looked me up and down. And I remember this, the look he gave me, this kid up as, just as clear as day. And he looked me up and down and this stain, like the state I was in. And he said, maybe you should take a bit of your own advice and then went back to his studying. And then um, then my mate called me out who was a lawyer and he said, uh, you're in a bit of trouble. He said, I said, Man, I'm going to get 20 years. And he said, you know, third time up, bank robber. Third time I would have been convicted for a bank robbery and I weren't going to beat that one, I, you know. um, And he said, mate, I, I reckon I'll get you three or four years. And I said, I'll do that in a heartbeat. So back on the way home from the education, I dr- uh, on the way from the legal was I dropped the education block and I said, oh, you know, what, what's available, and they said a, cu- a course called tertiary prep, and it's like a HSC, and they said, what, well, would you like to study? I said, I like the study law. I'd, you know, I'd like to be able to help people. And um, they said, all right, we'll get you signed up to do tertiary prep. So within the – I was just – why, 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 the irony of all of this is in within 24 hours, and I talked to with people who, who've got su- suicidal thoughts, in the course of 24 hours, things had happened to me that just – and I got back to the cell that night, and I didn't want to kill myself because – Morally, I still had something in the tank that I wouldn't take something off some, some person who, uh, who was a sex offender. I'd done something in the past to change a kid's life and change his trajectory uh, from, you know, being offending behaviour to getting into education. I weren't going to get that long, you know, and I could possibly do something that could help people with the
1: law or, or something to do with that sort of thing. So right at that point you felt inspired that your whole world hasn't caved in because you weren't going to get do 20 more years. How old were you then? Oh, I was 40, about 46. Okay, so you weren't going to be stuck in there for maybe 20 years. Yeah. You would regain some hope. Yeah. Because prior to that, it sounds like when you think you're going to do 20 years, um, you've made a decision to knock yourself, you don't have anything to look forward to, you can't. You hadn't even thought about doing a course at that stage. You didn't even know what you, if you could do a course, what you would apply the course to. Yeah. As opposed to that that is helping people, so you didn't feel motivated or inspired. Well, you didn't see that sort of you know light coming through a bit of hope out there. At which point you thought, fuck this, I'm just going to neck myself. And and by the way, it's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a common mm. thing, blokes necking themselves. Mm. Who, in your case, uh, do you think that, that necking yourself though was? not about loss of hope, but just all the demons that had built up over however many years, particularly going back to when you were 14 and 15 when you were being abused, do you think those demons were tapping you on the shoulder saying, Russell, it's time to go? Yeah, 100%, Mark.
0: You're right. Is that I mean, what
1: you were struggling with?
0: 100%. It was a big. It was, it, was the under, it was the underlying issue of the drug abuse. It was the underlying – because, man, I, I, I had a stage at one stage when I was 12 years clean, and I – Built, uh, you know, I, I had a, a, a marketing and advertising business. It wasn't like it was all lost. But it was always the underlying issue. It was still a nightmares waking up at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat and sort of stuff. Like I'd never dealt with it. That was it was the underlying issue. It was this thing that wasn't going away. And um I was just never gonna go away until it was dealt with.
1: Our generation were never actually asked to talk about shit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if there was something bothering you, you you would like be a man, I can aim up. Two feelings, good and bad. Get on, get on with it. What's How, are right? oh, How are you feeling?
0: Oh, good. How you feeling? Bad. There's yeah. no in between.
1: Nothing in between. And by the way, I don't really want to know about what's causing your problem because yeah. you know, I've got to go to work. I've got my own problems. Yeah, you've got my own problems, and yeah. don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and no one gave no one gave us permission to talk about it when we we're growing up. Anyway, what was it? When did you first break it? I um, I was sitting in my cell one night, and I I was watching the seven thirty ABC
0: seven thirty report, and I seen that they were going after Brian Houston from Hillsong, and I've seen that they'll go. The Royal Commission the Institution responses to child sexual abuse were going after George Pell, and I thought these people are a fair income, and um, and I just thought, you know, what well, I'm just because I just knew it was, I just knew it was the underlying. I just when I got that at suicidal thoughts, I just got back to that to the core. It was like I peeled the onion back to until it couldn't be peeled back anymore, so to speak. And uh, there was nothing left. And, I was, and, and that's what it was. It was just sitting there and there was this rotten black hole of a thing. It was, abuse. It was all just It's like a pea that was just turned into a whole heap of things. And that was what I had to deal with. And um, and I just knew it. I acknowledged that that was the problem. But it's it's like being trapped in a maze or without, you know, a sort of plan to get out of there. I, I, I acknowledged it but I didn't have the plan to get out of there and I yeah. needed a plan. So what I'd done was, um, I went, I jumped on the phone. I just, I, I can remember it as planned as day. It was in January, 2014. So I went and jumped on a so you were in jail at the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, I yep. was in jail. I was in jail in Brisbane. And, um, I I mean, went, Bogger Road. No, nah, no, nah, it's called Arthur Gorry. Bogger Road has been closed since 1986. Serious? Yeah. I Mike, didn't you're out of date with I know, the tales. That's, <laughs> That's a good thing. Though. <laughs> that is a good thing. Yeah. But, um, I got my friend to get me. I said, can you get me the Royal Commission's address? And um, they said, yeah. And uh, I rang back an hour later, give me the address. And I just wrote a one-page full cap paper of what had happened to me. And like anything, I, I didn't have a lot of faith. I didn't have a lot of faith in the, the in, system. That, in the system, so to speak. I didn't, especially anything to do with the government. You thought, well, no one's going to read this. Yeah. And this will just get put in the shredder and, yeah, or yeah. put on someone's desk. I said, but it might be a little bit cathartic for me to sort of to do that and put it out and just give it away or burn it or whatever, you but know. But what did you say in it? I just outlined, I said, my name's Russell Mann, so I said, you know, I went through, um, I said I was at the notorious Derek Boys' home. I also was at another part of my story is at, at 16 years old I was sent to Long Bay Prison as a 16-year-old and I was sexually abused in both these places. And uh, I, was, I, don't, I don't even think i filled the whole page. And then, um, and I just, and then, um, so I, I posted it and then in prison, when you get called for a legal visit, two things, never ever, not much ever good comes of that. It's normally the police turning up to charge you with something. So a lot of people turn up who, and that you stand up to like a, I don't know, a deer in the headlights, so to speak, and you go, who is it? And as the police, I don't want it to tell them to call my lawyer and you run out of there. <laughs> yeah, and then um, but in this case, they said it's the royal commission, and that, and oh really? They come yeah. to see it. No, they by by video conference, right. And um, I remember the girls, the woman's name, her name was Michelle Burford, and I um. So anyway, and she goes, Russell, firstly, we want, we want you to tell you something before you even start. We want to tell you, we believe you. And I went, and like, I was a bit, I said, believe me, what? And they said, what happened you? And they said, we've even got a bit of uh, information that backs up what you say. So other people that were in my situation had obviously dropped my name as someone that was being there. And I said, yeah. And then, um, and I had this like 45 minute conference with him and I just was so at ease. It was, and I was I'm a bit emotional. I was a bit emotional. And, um, and, um, but at the end of it, they said, we've got a trauma counseling, a counselor. I was a little Pommy woman. Um, and I ended up doing counseling with her for five years. Never met her, never met her face to face, but spoke to her on a regular basis for, um, um. I can see he's getting there now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you it's right? of, yeah, yeah, I'm sweet. Yeah. I've done this a thousand times now. Like I tell it, but it, it still, it still has the
1: same effect in me. It still has, um, it is because, you know. Uh, is it the memory of what happened to you? Is it the injustice of what you feel? Or is it having to talk to someone that affects you the most? Uh, it's not the injustice because I think in a lot of ways I, I'm creating my own justice
0: by talking about it. I think I like I might not have got justice at the time. Unfortunately, the perpetrators in my case are long gone. But, um, um, but, um, are long gone. But, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just like I, I was. A, I was a very, very. I, it's not so much these days, but it was a very, very painful par, part of my life, and I, I carried a lot of pain with me for a long
1: time that I didn't deserve to carry. You know, I didn't deserve to carry. No one deserves I, yeah. you, better, do they? No. Especially if you're a, a young man. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're an older man either. Yeah. But as a young man,
0: oh mate. And You know what? Because and then you sit there and watch news and you see some perpetrator get three or four months or a slap or a suspended sentence or whatever. And, and man, I'd be raging sometimes, you know what I mean? And unfortunately that hasn't changed, but I'd like to think that I'll be part of a system that can change all that where they get what they deserve because they're, they're, it's just, it's like they create so much carnage. They create the next heroin addicts, drug addicts, bikies. They create the next prostitute strippers. They create so much carnage in this country. And it's not, unfortunately the politicians, and the courts don't recognise the damage that they
1: cause. Is that an example of because they just don't have any understanding
0: yeah, I think it's of,
1: a, of the effect yeah. on somebody? I mean, is, do you think that's what it is, or do you think that they don't give a shit? I've got a theory on it. I think, you know, the court, it's sort of like a stimulus. I think
0: they they, they sort of, well, they understand that keeps them in business, and the judges in business, keeps the cops. There's, there's a thing coat, I think it's in social science, it's called the mint coat theory, right? So mint coat, gets built or grown and they kill a mink or whatever and they'd make the coat, gets sold for $4,000. If it gets stolen, it generates $40,000 because you've got to have the police. You've got to employ the police to chase the per, uh, the police person who stole it. Then you've got to have the judges and then you've got to have the prison officers and then the parole officers. It creates a stimulus. Yeah, yeah. And I think perpetrators, uh, you know, uh, create that stimulus too because they create a lot of dark carnage. They create a lot of criminals. They create a lot of bad people, like a lot of people. Like I have, through my business, Voice of a Survivor, some of the most violent men in this country were really badly abused. And I think, you know, the underlying issue of their violence is often the abuse itself. Now, we we eliminate the trauma of the abuse, and you've actually got a normal guy that hasn't got the propensity for violence. Well, you know, the violence itself is a byproduct of the, of the abuse. They just act out, and that's how they act. Some people... In my case, I just numb myself. At one stage, I was using $1,500 a day of heroin, 1500 a day.
1: Do you think do you use it to numb the pain, to forget, or, or, or what are you trying no, do you, man, if escapism, to do? Is it escapism? What is it? Escapism, numb. Man, I, and people used to say to
0: me about the way I use drugs, I lived on the edge of death. Like people could have a shot of heroin and just, I lived on, man, I was trying to, man, I was trying to get right on that edge of the precipice of death. And just and be because that's how numb I wanted to be. It was it was like and, and I, I've had a lot of other heroin acts. They said, "Mate, we've never seen people use it like you." And and in that case, I'd had a lot of overdose. I overdosed on a plane going to Perth once. I woke up with an earful of pumpkin. You know, I had my meals on there, and I'd, I'd had a shot and I walked out, and bang, overdosed. I was always that. I was always that numbing effect, like because. Shame, shame's a, shame, and embarrassment is a really horrible thing to deal with. It's a really, really horrible, especially when it's flowing around in your head, like it is. It's like a man. It's 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 a really cold, and it's it's a, it's it's like, and combine that with anxiety. It's your head's not a say, not your head's not a good place to be with that's all that's running around in your head, and you know you're not thinking clear. You're not seeing a you know. The, the beautiful beach. You can be at the beach and all, you, all you've got in your thoughts is running around the shame and embarrassment like a mouse wheel, you know. So it's not a – it's it's a horrible place to be. So when you take the drugs, that then thoughts stop and you can sort of get a bit of a grasp that you're at the beach or you're in a nice forest or you're driving along a nice – you know, you're seeing some nice scenery. You get a bit of a – it sort of brings you back to normality. It sort of numbs – when people talk about that numbing, it takes away – that, what's going on in your head, and sort of brings you back to what's going on sometimes?
1: Because there's been a lot uh, written and talked about, and uh, um, more recently about the effect of psychedelics. Yeah. I mean, did you ever try that type of thing to try in in a remedial sense? I don't mean yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just but for I, fun. I, I mean, like, but did um, you ever try psychedelics to try and, and or microdosing, whatever it is, to try and um, heal the thing, the anxiety that you suffered from as a result of these things that happened to you when you were a kid? I'll tell you something. I met this. I got invited by this group of people down at Albury Donga
0: recently. I wasn't on this, a few months ago, and um, and I and I just through my own studying, I, I, through my business, I always want to improve how people are treated. I'm, I, I, lo- I just I research a lot of it, so I went down there and and um, and these this day there were a group of people and they went for they down the cycle, and then they walked into this national forest. So I'll give it a go, you know just to, and I said I don't want too much of it and man it was oh man it was like what it done for me was it allowed me to see my thoughts from the out like from an yeah, outside back. yeah step back and see my thoughts and and it was just amazing and my nephew's been trying to tell me my nephew lost both his mum and dad my brother and his wife through suicide and he's been and he he's just been telling me about it for years he said you got to give this a go, on, go on. and I just went and had a I said to people, I don't really, because I'm a recovering addict, I don't really want to try this and be addicted to it or anything like that. And they said, no, we don't do it for that effect. We do it for a complete different effect. And we're not trying to get you wiped out or anything like that or numb or anything like that. We just, and microdosing is what it is. It's a really small dose yeah. just to do it. And I mean, I'm a, Mark, I'm a really big fan of it. I think I'm, I'm massive, especially when it comes to trauma,
1: dealing with trauma, I think it's amazing. Because I see Mike Tyson invested in a company in the U.S., which uh, along with other people, not just him, but a whole lot of people invest in a big company in the US, which is doing a lot of trials on microdosing of psychedelics and for the purpose of healing, obviously not, not for any other purpose, not for recreational reasons, but for the purpose of healing, for people with anxiety, you know, bipolar disease, depression, and, and PTSD, which is sort of probably- Yeah, to that's to what say, I've got, that's yeah. That's what you've yeah. suffered from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they say, mean, according to, because I, I went and checked the website, I've been following it quite, quite um, studiously. Um, they say that it has, has quite a, a big success rate, and they're trying to work out the science behind it and try and get it approved by the FDA, et cetera, in America. And uh, that's why I asked you, do you have you tried micro Because I, mean, I know people here do it. I mean, yeah. I got invited. It's all by, underground. It's all yeah, underground. No, child, yeah. I get invited by somebody to yeah, do it. Yeah. Up near where, um, yeah, yeah, where the northern rivers away. And I turned it down only because I, I I, actually am very curious to do it, very curious to try it, um, for a whole number of personal reasons. But, uh, um, but, but the reason I turned it down is because I wasn't sure of the, um, supervision and manage, uh, the management of the process, yeah. the individuals who are doing it. And, uh, and I was also, I was also worried, a little bit worried about if something went wrong and, yeah. uh, you know, Whose hands am I in at yeah. the time? So I, I, I rejected it. But I just think it's something that anybody who's had any sort of unusual past, you know, maybe we we probably should have governments start to investigate this sort of stuff 100%. and start roll this out for people. You know, like sure. as a, as an alternative, I haven't heard. I'll be honest, I
0: haven't. I've heard. I know of a lot of people. I've seen. You know, I've, I've been in a group that does it all. I haven't heard one bad result from it. Not yeah. one. Not one bad result. Everything I've heard is really, really positive, and I think the fact that it's micro, the word, the operative word in this yeah. is micro. It's a, a small dose. We're not having large doses to wipe you, and I think that's the big difference, you know what I mean? And done right, I think, man, like we've – and it, imagine getting scientists involved with it.
1: Yeah, totally. But, you know what I mean? Like, and, or getting it properly researched at yeah. the Mind and Brain, Brain Centre and, you know, yeah. at um, at um, Royal Prince Alfred, or wherever yeah. it is uh, out there at Camberdown. Like yeah. get r- real – Neuroscientists and all those sorts of people getting involved in looking at this sort of thing to try and help help most of us heal. Like everybody's been yeah. has been um, you know somehow affected by something in their life, yeah. which to them is a trauma for them. I mean, the but number good. of people who put up that post that um, I can't think of his name, the UFC fighter, put up like the number of guys I know who replayed it. Yeah. especially a lot of fighters. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of blokes fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. Box, UFC. And those. I think that, I think a lot of times there's. Well, I I look at fighters and what I've got to know is a lot of uh, the reason why they fight is a lot of
1: uh, underlying issues of trauma itself. No, 100%. Look, I... I, can tell you that's yeah. my experience too. Yeah, yeah. Um it's a way of dealing with shit in their life and yeah. it stops them from getting angry because they yeah. can actually roll their anger out in the ring yeah. or training and it sort of keeps them not numb but sort of takes the edge off them. I've look at fighters, I can look at some fighters now, I reckon I can pick them yeah. through
0: their eyes. Yeah, yeah. That focus, there's a certain fo- I can pick I can pick a survivor. Ten people can walk down the street, there's three survivors, I'll tell you, I'll pick them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just I can read people's eyes. That's why this why I do works because I'm really good at being able to pick a survivor. Do you
1: think, Russell, your skill at doing that, is mm. um, just a general skill as to being able to redeem yourself the way you have. Like, it's pretty crazy. I mean, like, you've done it. Do you think that's a skill that you picked up in the nick of uh, the, in jail over all those years? I mean, how many years you spent in jail? 23. I 23, 23 years i know 23 years in jail in three different states. Yeah, so... Do you think it's a skill that you've developed as a result of being in jail, like yeah. a, a certain edginess, a, a rawness around being around people where the rules are different and you have to have your wits about you all the time? For you sure. have to be able to learn to read people. There's a few things, you know. I'm, I'm, my, my brother, my
0: brother's a businessman and, and um, I can pick a shifty person a mile away. You know, my brother pulled me in a meeting one day and they said, well, just a bit sus on this guy. Can can you jump in and read him? And mm-hmm. within five minutes, I see my brothers, I said, don't do nothing with that bloke. I said He's a shift is a day as long. Can
1: pick shifty people. But like what big... what do you look for? Do you know? Is it a conscious thought it's or, or is it their just body
0: language? Yeah. I think their body language is. a is are you saying look at this? Look at oh tick tick tick? Or is it just a read you get generally? How they react to questions. It's like I spoke to Gary, Gary. I'm friends with Gary Jude. When I asked yeah. him about the same thing, I said, "Do you read people through their body language?" And he goes, I do that, but I also have a, a evidence to substantiate what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. So he, he being an, an ex policeman or a yeah. detective, a highly ranked detective yeah. in the murder squad at one yeah, stage, homicide squad, yeah. yeah and, uh, and so he, he would he would work on his use his instinct. Would, what it, are you He go and gather evidence to support have it, yeah, stuff and backing it
0: up. Yeah. He said, I just you just can't base it on that alone. I reckon I could do it. Yeah. So
1: so maybe just explain what it's like when you're sitting in. In prison, and when you're not the very first time you're walking, but when you walk in, what are you trying to do in relation to all the people in in the in the particular jail that you might be at? What are you? What's your I, first well, thing?
0: I, someone explained prison when you walk into prison. A, a prisoner is described as a high intense social experience. And that I think, and I, someone said to me that highly intense social experience, and and I think I, you do because you walk through them doors, and everyone's everyone oh. Doors, gates, or whatever, and everyone knows you there. And there's a fair few people that have a lot of intel on you. And if you've got any secrets or skeletons in your closet, they'll come out within the first five minutes. Because people are very confrontational in prison. Oh, you done? Like you walk through the gate, and or if you've done, if someone's done something wrong, you have done this wrong to old oh, mate. You better get out of here. And like you get told you can't be in that prison. Like some blokes will be grab your stuff and go somewhere else. So they got to go back to the screws and say, oh, "I can't be in there." Um. Or you got your welcoming party. I'm from Mount Druitt. And, um,
1: That's we, where you grew yeah, up. Yeah, I grew right? up in
0: Mount Druitt. And, um, so we've normally got a reception committee when we walk through the door. It's always, you know, there's a the high population of Mount Druitt people in prison. Um, and it is normally a reception committee. So I walk through the gate and it's, oh, yeah, and they've got me lined up. They've told the screws what, where, what cell I'm living in. I'll go to a cell and, you know, I'll, I'll actually be in sharing a cell with another Mount Druitter. So, um, but for others, you know, um, and you know what I've found about prison, how, you know, the same water finds its own level, you know, it's so much like that. You'll see the the bank robbers will go and hang with the bank robbers. The drug importers will hang with, they just gravitate to each other. The fraudsters will go and hang with the fraudsters. It's just, it's it's amazing. I sat back and watched and I said, one day I was just sitting there, especially I was at Long Bay when, no, that used to be the MRC, it's the Remand Centre, and I was watching all these crowds of blokes, everyone's sitting around, and it was funny that no one was out of place. No one was out of place. Everyone was with their with their with their tribe, so to speak. You it's, know?
1: A, it's a, it is very tribal. I mean, a friend of mine was telling me a little bit about it more recently. Friend dash client, um, ex client, I should say. Um, and uh, he told me that um. Today, these days, it's much more scary than it ever was in the past. Hundred percent. But I, I was, particularly with you, have got your indigenous groups. You have yeah. got your non-Indigenous groups and you've got your um, Asian groups and you've got- Yeah, racial segregation. It's, it is quite, and
0: it's quite heavy. You know what it is though, Mark? I'll tell you something. What I noticed about, and I was thinking about this not so long ago, in the early 90s, in New South Wales in particular, they closed a lot of mental institutions like Roselle Hospital, mm. the one at Westmead, uh, Morissette, they closed them all. Prisons then become a dunking, dumping ground for the mentally ill. Now, if you've got schizophrenics walking around in knives in prison- that's going to escalate because everyone else is going to aim up the knives, and I think that escalation in violence come around about the same time they closed all these mental institutions and started dumping dumping them all in the prison. I think there's because I, I, I was really fat. The point that you mentioned that about you know what your friend said, I sort of walked, went back, and I, and I I went back and thought about the process long and hard, and I went, why did that happen? Was it you know rap music? You can't blame it on rap music, as the, the police are trying to do at the moment. Um, You can't blame it on that and you can't blame it on movies or anything like that. And I I thought, you know what? There was a correlation between the dumping all the mental health patients into the prisons and an escalation in violence. Because you've got people walking around that just, like, you know, they don't mean to. They've got a mental disorder, you know. uh.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: A problem, and I'll just king hit someone, or and then an old mate'll turn back around. You know, I've seen it happen. A guy, a bloke's doing doing chin ups, and some mentally ill bloke just run up and king hit him as he's come off it. And the bloke was just
1: a schizophrenic, just thinking, hearing voices. I've seen a lot of that. And how do you? And when you when you first walk in there, I mean, are you looking over your shoulder all the time? Of Course, or? yeah. You
0: and I still do it to a, a lot of degrees. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really big on awareness of what goes around I me. Mean, um, you, you, you always know what your position is. You always know what, who's behind you. You're, you're, that's big. Always know what's behind that. Like it's a safety mechanism. You're
1: you were not about walking around in, just in, yeah. outside, outside, like yeah. today. Yeah, yeah even yeah. today. I'm
0: always having a way. I could be talking here and I'm always looking over your shoulder to see who's behind you because I'm watching your back mm. and I'm hoping you're watching mine. You know what I mean? Yeah, me, yeah. me and you are engaging in a conversation. And if you see a fret coming towards me, you say, hey, old mates coming up behind you, he's looking a bit aggressive. Fucking so be prepared. You know, if you're talking to your mate, or there's an expectation if you're having a conversation with someone for them for them to mail you of that. You know what I mean? So you're always you're always on guard because you don't know you don't know who's got problems with you. As I say, it could be a schizophrenic, it could be someone that's got some problem with him that's that's had a bad day. He's had a bad phone call. He's angry because that's what happens. Someone's wife leaves him or something like that. Old mates on a war page. He don't a rampage. He doesn't care who he's going to bash. He's just full of anger. Because his wife's just left him. He's got twenty years to go. He's got no hope. He's full of anger.
1: He's full of rage, and he's going to take it out on someone. So the two alternatives, yeah. anger and rage, yeah. take it out on someone. Is that's alternative one. The second alternative, when you've got no hope, the second alternative is I'm going to neck myself. Yeah. Are they the two alternatives? Yeah, for sure. Did and do you do you think you went through both of those? Oh, 100%. Stage one, I bash everybody. Yeah. It, that was a point where it wasn't anger anymore. It was more despair. Yeah. Was, is there a bridge between the two? I mean, like, because it seems to me you're a great observer of life. That's what mm. I think. I mean, one of the skills you probably got from being in jail for so long is you're a great observer of everything. You're aware of everything that's going on around you. You watch. I mean, I, when I saw you at the airport the other day, you clocked me, like, pretty quick, and, uh, mm. and we were just in a line. But mm. I just, And I thought of myself when I got on the plane, you know. Look, we'll sit next to each other, basically. Yeah, well, you're cross. Yeah. 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 But I thought of myself when I was on the plane, though, I was nowhere near as aware of what was going on as you work. And I'll tell you why I thought that. Because when we went through security, like the security, I had to take this watch off because mm. for some reason this watch always shows up mm. on me. So i take it off and always put it in the, the basket mm. thing and i put your, you know, your phone and all that shit mm. in there. you put it through the, the, mag- uh, the um, detector thing. And I got out and I, when I was on the plane, I thought, where's my fucking watch? Mm. And I'd been talking to you. You, you know, you you and I have been ch- chatting. I didn't take your watch. No, part. I know I've got it on though. No, I know you didn't take my watch. But but, we, but, but, we're, but we're but we're in a long line. There's a lot of fucking people yeah, there, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was shitty. I was more shitty about how long it was all taking. Yeah. And I was thinking, "Oh fuck this!" You know, like oh, just. And I was actually thinking about that, and I think we probably had. I can't remember. No, we didn't have masks on, but mm. but I but I was thinking about what was inside my head as opposed to my surrounds. Yeah. And I didn't remember that I took the watch out of the basket and put it in my bag. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and I couldn't quite remember. And, I, and I, when I got on the plane, I thought, Mark, you're a f- you're fucking idiot. Be more aware of your circumstances and be more self-aware. Yeah, I, I was pretty shitty with myself, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. because I went, Oh, where's my fucking watch? Oh, I don't even left in the fucking basket like I thought. Yeah. Oh, We'll have to get off the plane. I'll yeah. have to ring. Re- because only the week before I left, my my earpods on the plane. Exactly yeah. the same thing happened, yeah. and I thought to myself, much I've got to become much more aware. Yeah. Now, what it seems to me is that, I mean, I was, and I started thinking about you. I thought, likes like Russell, are super aware.
0: Yeah.
1: Of everything that's going on around him. Yeah. Like uh, I could be standing there, and I could see if I saw you, and if I knew you, I could literally and I think this, this is the case for lots of people, literally not know you're there. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing you. Because I'm thinking about what's going on in my yeah, fucking head. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about where I go. I, mean, I often get out of my car, don't turn my car off, don't lock it, yeah. and go off to where I'm going to leave my car running. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's, but, it, <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering where, you know, people like you have probably suffered from PTSD, have been put into other institutions like jail, um, where you have to be aware of every single thing that's going on around you every minute of the day, all the time. I live in a war zone. Yeah, I know, totally. And therefore yeah. you come out hyper aware. Yeah. Hyper aware of everything. Yeah. It's actually a pretty good skill. Yeah. And do you think that's something now is that, that, do you think that skill that you achieved allowed you to reflect on your own self and become hyper aware of what you were suffering? Is that the thing that yeah. got you to do something about it? That is, send the letter, then take up the offer of, um, you know, uh, help when they mm. offered you the help?
0: Yeah, 100%, Mark, and I, it's, uh, yeah, no, um, that, that's your awareness, see, and you point out because I didn't know that about myself. But I'm only good I'm
1: doing this shit when I'm sitting in front of someone <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm concentrating on it. That's what I'm I do. That's, that's my good. job. But yeah, I good. become good at that. Yeah, yeah. But, but outside of here, I'll probably walk outside and my car will be still running my get and I'll probably <laughs> left it open. <laughs> I left no, to no, no. watch my my airport. i <laughs> left to watch the airport. Someone's probably pinched all my gear out of the car. No, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do, is, yeah. Is no, that no, something that you you've
0: gained? That awareness – you know, uh, I, I do have it. I, I, you know, I spot things in people. I spot, but I also spot opportunities really well too because a prison shows you how to spot an opportunity. Oh, yeah, you got to be good at that. You know, I had a shop. I had a shop in prison. I was sending my kids home $500 a week. So if you bought a bottle of Coke off me, you have to give me two back. You bought a, got a block of chocolate off me, you have to, two, and I ran a blackjack table. I had every hustle, you know. So I've seen these opportunities. But
1: that's how you pay you so, because that's your currency.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. And um, so- but that awareness of people, I, I see things in people. I see, but I, I see people's. Like I was speaking to a woman yesterday, and I said, like I was getting a dog off her, I was, and, and I said, "Man, you you you'd be an amazing trauma counselor." And she said, "What?" And she goes, "It's funny you say that." She goes, "Because I thought about doing this type of work." I said, "Mate, you've got this really good tone as a trauma counselor." I said, just something you want to think about?" I said, "Did you got this amazing." Tone and man, I'd feel comfortable talking to you if I was telling you what the worst
1: things that ever happened to me. I said, just off your tone alone, you know. Well, I tell you where I'm leading with this, Russell. Um, if if for example, you suffered trauma when, you know, 14, 15, 16, but let's say you never robbed a bank or never did anything after that, you never went to jail. Let's say you worked on an office somewhere, whatever the job was, with the government, and you never got put in those hyper aware situations and where it became second nature to, to you do you think maybe you may never have pulled out of the ptsd the trauma that you suffered as a result of being abused because you never developed an, enough awareness to actually drag yourself out of it in other words you might have been one of these poor bastards who are in an office for the whole life traumatized by what happened never spoke to anyone because you're a generational thing and may have ended up nicking yourself. 100%, 100%. Maybe jail was a good thing for you jail. in some like respects.
0: The, oh, without a doubt. I think there's certain things in there. I think a jail has given me an ability to really weigh people up real quick. Uh, if, you know, the... You know their their qualities, attributes, and and you know they're shifty. I think you know, especially in business. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've been caught out. I've been caught out a couple of times in business. I've had people turn up, and I don't believe in reading CVs. I just I think they're a lot of shit. I've seen blokes make out their doctors with dodgy certificates and everything. I don't. I'm not. I'm not you know. But I'm starting to realise a little bit differently. You can get them people researched. I didn't. So my I think my ability to read people through prison as as one of my greatest assets in business, you know what I mean? And I think um, that there's a moral code in prison that, you know, you don't tell on people, you don't hit up blokes, girls, wives, you don't – there's this moral code in prison, but there's a moral code in business too that you've got to apply yourself to. And, I, you know, I've applied myself to, to it really well. There's certain things. A big thing I'm into is exercise. It gives me a discipline, and it's the best antidepressant I've ever had. And, and a big way over the years – of training my post-traumatic stress disorder is being exercised. I Man, I used to train four or five hours a day. I was training like I was training for the Olympics, and that. But that was a form of escapism too. I think like, it is for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a form. I, mean, of I a, use it for escapism. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, but I also trick myself into thinking it's a, a good form of, uh, of health, I like to help your health. I mean, like it is good for your health. Yeah. But I train probably too hard. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to train as hard as I do. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I do it to escape. Yeah. It's my moment, but it's a good form of meditation. Oh, great. And, and so this is like, so if you went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, whatever they're called, mm. and you had these issues, they'd probably say to you, they want to you, medicate, yeah. But with, or they, or go on and say, let's, instead of medicate, let's meditate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a- that's been the best
0: meditation. I went to a. So from, you're doing meditation? Oh yeah, yeah. I do meditation. Like I went to um through the work, cause I'm exposed to a lot of trauma in my work. And I had a report written to me, but written about me by Professor Ian Coyle, who's a leading trauma reporter in Australia. And he believed that he he's never come across too many people that can work on the front line of trauma that are abuse survivors. He's only ever come across two, and me and a woman called Hetty Johnson are the only two that can work in that field of trauma, because I was doing. I've done like 1,100 trauma reports. Like I've in done about 1,100 trauma interviews where I've interviewed clients about what had happened to them and, and it was, I didn't think it was affecting me. I didn't think it was affecting me. And then I'd done, the last one I'd done was a, a mate of mine who's a life, doing life in Queensland and, and I said to my business partner, I said, I'm done, I'm not doing no more of them. I said, that one really got to me because it was a mate and I got an emotional attachment to it. With the other ones, I just normally disassociate myself from it as this thing that I can do is disassociate, like I've done in prison. I've seen murders in prison. I disassociated myself from I mean, it. I just had no mental attachment to what had happened to it. I was like, I'd seen plenty of stabbings, plenty of violence. And there's this disassociation. It's not healthy to do it. It's not recommended to do it. That's really bad for you. But I disassociated myself. Like I just sat there and numbed myself and pretended it didn't happen. But it Like did. consciously. Yeah, yeah. Consciously just went, didn't say that. Push but it out. But it's still in your memory. But it's in your subconscious. Yeah, yeah. And what happens in the subconscious, the subconscious
1: wake you up in the middle of the night and that's where your nightmares come from. There's Jiminy Cricket, mate. He's up there doing this. Yeah, like, yeah. your head about 2 a.m. It's happened yeah, to me yeah. millions of times. And uh, in fact, it happened to me last night. So, and- you, and you, but how do you purge that shit? I mean, like, how do you purge that stuff out of yourself? I system? do a lot of recovery. I
0: do a lot of like because I'm a former heroin addict. I, I, look, I believe in recovery means narcotics and uh, alcoholics anonymous. I do a lot of one on one counselling. I'm starting this treatment. It's called EMDR therapy. More the EMDR therapy is more for the prison stuff. Like, like I've I've done a lot of trauma counselling, and the trauma counsellors are saying you are really at a good spot with it. But maybe we should start investigating the trauma counselling, or the prison trauma that you've got, you know. Because this twenty-three years have been t- told you're a shitbag bag and you're a scumbag, and you, by the prison officers themselves. Sort of, you start the subconsciously you carry that. Like you, once again, you disassociate yourself, and it gets pushed into subconscious, but it's still there. Do you, do you ever believe it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. How do you,
1: you make yourself a model citizen following all that? Belief that you were a, a shitbag bag because you've been. I think that about. works, isn't
0: it? I think my work is sort of an escapism too. I'm really like. I remember when I got out of prison. Just up, a better form, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a better form of it. Like, I had a few goals, right? I, one of my goals was. One of my goals was. I wanted to buy an AMG Mercedes and a Rolex watch after I'd been out for three years, and I just was hell bent. I was just on that thingy board that you put up. You know what I mean? That's yep. what I. And I wanted to do that, and I just—I was working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and the only time I'd have an hour off to go to the gym of the morning, and then I'd get straight in. on. And, and I was horrible to be around. Like, I just wasn't sociable. I was always on my phone. I was on social media talking to clients or whatever. And that was an escapism. It was an escapism for me through work. I was, you know, I've, I've learned to manage that a lot better these days. I've got people I got. – I've got 12 staff these days. I'm learning – life balances that, that's, that's
1: been really hard, but the. Did you do it? I need to know this, but did you learn that from observing anybody else?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I now I do. I like, I look at good businessmen like yourself. I, 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 I follow everything you do. Um, but, and just watching other successful people don't make it all about the job, you know, and, and, and just. You know, because my, my business acumen's self-learned. I haven't got no really qualifications. I've just, i learned learn from prison officers. If a prison officer, like, whatever they if they do something, do it the totally opposite result way and you'll get a result. That's because they know to fuck everything up, you know what I mean? Well, i say corrective services. They're just acting on a directive, them blokes, you know I mean? It's nothing to do with them personally. They're just acting on a directive. Corrective services can fuck everything up, all
1: right? The, the institution called corrective services. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. About, yeah, yeah. yeah, they
0: can fuck everything up. They're good at fucking everything up. The things are starting to change in New South Wales in particular because I'm actually doing some work for them now. So, as a as um lived experience type person, but... Going back to the the mental stuff about that that self belief, it does come out sometimes when I'm when I'm feeling depressed. It's like the it's like the little as you say the the, the cricket kicks off and starts clicking his
1: ill scum actually ah, shit bag. But what do you do as a technique when that happens? Does train, it ha- train. So let's say it happens. I'll tell you what I do. But let's it say it happens to, two Does it ever happen in the middle of the night? Oh, that's the worst. What do you do then? What do you do? Get up and work. Yeah, just just. Get up and get
0: myself – because I'm, I'm a poor sleeper. I always have, and I think it's attributed to – the first time I've ever abused it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I think that's never left me. But I'm also ADHD. I'm pretty sure I am self-diagnosed, but everything they say about ADHD, I'll, I'll tick all the boxes, yeah? But I get up and work, whether it's still on my social media or answering emails or whatever, and there's this, there's this time, but say 2 in the morning and 4 in the morning, yeah. where I'm super-duper creative yeah yeah I love it. i just i love I love the peace and tranquility of that time in the morning. there's no white noise or anything like that and that 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 nightmare of the thing will wake me up and it's like it's so it's time to get up and get creative you've got the option stay in the horrible thought or get up and do something creative I'll jump, up, I'll jump up and do something creative and, and and
1: and what's interesting about that is um a lot of business people, especially startups yeah are up at three o'clock in the morning and they say exactly the same thing. Champions may not, hour, is it? Yeah, totally, man. Because it, might, it might, might not be a PTSD thing. Yeah. It might not be. Yeah. But it, it, it might be a, a stress or an anxiety thing that's yeah. created by being in business for yourself yeah. or having a startup or having a crack, just mm. having a crack. And, mm. you know, you've got some problem that's bugging you from the day before or the week before and it could be a staff member, it could be a client, it could be a customer. Could be the bank, could be cash flow, could be yeah. the tax office, could be anything. Um, but you it always comes an issue around that time. And, and what I hear people say, is that what you just said, Russell, is they they find that if they if they just lay there and try and wrestle in the mud with it, it fucks them up. Yeah, it does. You go nowhere. I've tried, I've had partners.
0: Any relationship I mean, I tell people, I say, man, don't nothing personal, but I'm I'm out of here at that time of the morning. I might jump back into bed at four and get another hour. I say, but I need to do
1: this thing, there's a problem with it. You sort I'm up and I'm up downstairs, yeah. work out. Yeah. And for me, it's either I go and train. Yeah. I used to do this weird thing many, many years ago mm. where I lived in the city mm. and uh, hopefully, I'm, you know, I don't get in trouble for saying this, but um, across the road from the botanical gardens. And uh, I, the darker the night, the better for me. Yeah, yeah. And I would actually go and climb over the, over the I fence. I wanted to do that. Go through the botanical gardens. Yeah. And I'll tell you something really interesting about this. It's locked off to the public, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I, and I across, so I live across, I live across, I could climb in, I'd go through the beach and I'd go, it's a dark forest. I used to love it, right? Yeah. And I said, so because every sort of sensory thing in my whole body became aware of yeah. what I was doing. And there's dudes in there. Yeah, there's yeah, People like, sleeping I, I, I in I there. Yeah. But, but, and you don't see them during the day. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how the fuck they get in there. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're, they're there. Yeah, and yeah. they scare the shit out of you because <laughs> they're around the toilets yeah. and they're around the. Because it happened, right. when I went into one of the toilets there to I needed to have a pee, yeah. and there was a dude in there. Like I oh, fucking shit myself. Like, yeah. uh, but it's quite interesting. I used to do that as my thing to actually, and I come back at four o'clock and I could go back to sleep for an yeah. hour or so. So and
0: uh, I've done it too. I, I, I used to I used to live on Elizabeth Street near Downing Centre Court, and I used to walk down and I thought, man, I should jump over that. That needs to get over. I yeah. mean,
1: you're not supposed, to, but yeah. it easy to get over. But yeah. it's, it was fun. I don't do it anymore. I haven't done yeah. it for years. But I used to do it. Like yeah. I, I, and uh, my partner at the time, she's the thing. I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said that. No, but the more scary it is, the better for me. To yeah, be honest, yeah. you. Like, you on the edge. It gets gets all my. And I used to come back, and I would feel quite relaxed when I got back. Yeah, yeah, And I used to think about some really good stuff. You, could, you would have been a bank robber in your day, mate. You were. A also, go. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I sort of did it to push myself, but yeah. but it, but I agree with you. You have got to get up and do something. So if you've got Jiminy Crickle sitting over the top of your head, scratching his heels, and trying to fuck you up in the middle of the night for whatever the anxiety is, get up. Don't entertain him. Correct. Brush mm. him. Mm. Get up and do something about yeah. it. Like Write something down. Read th- yeah. a book. Do something sort of semi-productive, mm. and write uh, down. And, and amazing the, the thoughts will just disappear. And mm-hmm. you can get on with it, and it's again, it's another form of escapism. And I mm. think one of the things I want to ask you, Russell, is this: I think you never cure these traumas that no. you, you live with for the whole. We don't, none of us do for the rest of our lives, mm. okay. And we never cure anxiety because anxiety is a thing that's always coming yeah. our way, no matter what. Yeah, and it comes in cycles, but it comes, it's going to hit all of us. And and maybe we never cure seeking out escapism, whether it's drugs or alcohol or doing crazy shit, mm. like, you know, uh, testing yourself, climbing yeah. a mountain or whatever, or in my case, run through, it, run through the forest. But maybe what it is is we've got to seek an escapism that doesn't harm us and be obsessed with that. And doesn't cost a lot. Doesn't cost a lot. So in your yeah. case, makes you money. Yeah, in yeah. your case, makes you feel good. Yeah. Gives you a good outcome because yeah. you're actually being productive for society. Mm. You're actually adding something to society. Yeah. Um, that feels good. That's that's a good thing. Mm. And so maybe that's that's escapism still is a solution. It's the style of escapism that 100%. you take.
0: Well, I start my day off when I get up at that time. I'm big on gratitude lists, you know, because gr- gratitude gratitude lists for me, a great being grateful is the, the conduit to peace. Being at peace. If I yeah. if I find seven, I go, I'm grateful for that. But when I do that gratitude list, I'm aware of that subconsciously aware of it. So. I'll go during the day, I'll say, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that I can see. And I'll we'll see something beautiful. I'll go, man, I'm so glad I saw that. You know, Um, or I'll, I'm gratitude that I'm going to have good food, you know, and that day I'll have a good food. And I'll say, man, like I'll have that first mouthful. I'll taste it. I'll absorb it. And I'll, you know, be just really grateful from where it, the sources that are come from. And I live in a country that we can have the best steak in the world or the Argentinians will disagree with that. But, but. You know, and just being aware, and that, that, that I just feel it. I just, man, gratitude is a really well, big well, thing for me.
1: Well, it's a funny thing you should say that, Um, you know, one of the things most religions talk about, doesn't matter what the religions, it can be Buddhism, whatever, is they all talk about being gratitude, having yeah. gratitude. But it's also enjoying things. Mm. So one thing that I try to do is make sure I sit down. If I have a cup, you know, some people quickly have a cup of coffee and racing out the door. Actually, smell the coffee, feel the coffee, taste the coffee. Mm. Actually, spend two minutes, three minutes—doesn't matter what it is—and these are all processes that, like, I'm finding quite incredible that you're self-taught these things Mm. because these are things I've read about, Mm. and other you know people, you know, qualified therapists have told me about Mm. what to do. But these are things that you're doing on your own, Mm. Um, and and again, it's probably probably through trial and error, but it's mm. also probably through being hyper-aware of everything that's going on around you mm. as opposed to someone like me. I'll go on, you're either reminding me of stuff today mm. or you're telling me stuff that I'm thinking about myself that I might be able to make use of Yeah. Um. in terms of trying to make my life a little bit better. Because I think everybody at the end of the day is just trying to improve their life just on the margin all the time. Yeah. How I feel, you know, sure. how I enjoy my day, mm. you know, uh, and what's amazing to me is that you're all the – you don't have seen have much shit on your liver, given mm. that you spent 24 years mm. institutionalized. Mm. You were abused when mm. you were younger. No one's, no one's I was been- was a million to one shot, Mark. No one's been squared off on that. No. I mean, like, as you said, the blokes, yeah. were. I assume they're blokes, but passed away, yeah. um, dead. You know, being institutionalized is just not a word. It's it's fucked up because, mm. uh, all right, you did crimes, you did the robberies, you then you've got to come out you've got to live with the, the, the pain of all that. Um, and institutions don't really reform anybody at the end of the Nothing. day. They just keep you off the street. Yeah. They make everybody else feel better, They, the, you know. Yeah. So the coppers makes- don't even really think that. that no. the, the coppers aren't even, look, at the end of the day, cops are just doing their job, yeah. most of them. Um, but they're not, they probably wouldn't agree with it either, At most mm. in most, of the ones that I know anyway, because they, they know it doesn't work. Yeah. Would you say it works? No, it doesn't work. 100%
0: it doesn't work. Well, look, I, I just think you're just delaying the problem, you know, you're just putting on ice for a bit. But I think when you go in there, the problem you have, some, you know, I was just talking to someone on the way down about <clears throat> the problems that it causes. It's like if you put someone in those places and treat them like an animal for 23 years, you can't have an expectation they're going to come out and act like a productive member of society. Totally. And in my case, I was like, Professor Ian Core wrote me off as a million to one shot at being where I am now. He said, he wrote that in a, oh, he, he said that recently on a strange story and, and um. A million to shot, one shot because, man, I, you know, i I never got, there wasn't much, I wasn't showing much about empathy and compassion in there. You know, although I've got a, you know, I based, my organization is based on empathy and compassion. I don't, I, I ask myself, where does it come from? Because I haven't been shown a lot. Where does it come from? I don't know. I just, I, I think, you know, I, I just, my passion, to help others, and I couldn't have that empathy and compassion. I think I've always had it, Mark. I don't think I, I think I was born with empathy and compassion. I've Always been one of those kids where, growing up in Mount Druitt there's a lot of dysfunctionality. And I'd get me dinner and I'd run outside, and my mate would be sleeping under my house. I'd give him half of my dinner. I was always one of those crappy of kids. And you know, a mate reminded me of it recently. He said, "You remember when I got kicked out of home?" And he said, "And I was sleeping under your bed, and you'd always come in with half your wipe half your dinner off in the plate and give it to me." And I said, "And you know, because I could cook. I, I, like I've been a kid." My parents are uh, like hard work. I'm, I'm I'm from uh, my parents' are immigrants from uh, Liverpool, and come out in '65 with ten pound palms. You know, I'm the youngest of six kids. But that's a bit of a rarity. Um, and I was always one of those kids that was I was always showing kindness, you know. And I was I was always sort of protected by my older brothers and that sort of stuff. So I just I guess I learned that from a family environment, you know, compassion and, and decency and. And that sort of stuff, and um, but yeah, it is, man. I will tell you, my accountant doesn't like my compassion and empathy. You know, he reckons it's no good for the for the bank account. You know what I mean? Because that, that's what you been. don't charge all the time, in other words. Well, yeah, I like you know, you get these stories of someone getting out of prison and they've got no clothes or anything yeah. like that. You know, and I, and I always believe, and I'm, I'm a big shoe person. Right? I've got this massive shoe collection. I've got a couple hundred pairs of shoes because right? I think shoes are good for your soul. And that's just you know what I mean. And um, and I'll you know first and and, and, and in jail, your shoes are like your car you've got two pairs of shoes, it's like, you know, the better the shoes, it's got a Ferrari or, you know, yeah, or you've yeah. got a Porsche or whatever. So it was big. And, and I think for blokes coming out of prison, there's a, dig, a bit of dignity in having a good pair of shoes.
1: So you, you're me out with I'll, a good I'll, pair I'll of shoes. I'll
0: always go and buy them a good pair of shoes, you know what I mean, to come out with a bit of dignity. That's a funny thing. People don't understand that sort of stuff. Yeah, but know, they're
1: God. the little things that make a difference. And, and, and that's probably the, the sort of things that breaks people down that allows them to actually feel as though they can come and talk to you. I want to just just a shout-out now for the name
0: of your business. What's it called? The Voice of a Survivor. You can see us on Instagram, Voice of a Survivor, Facebook.
1: And for all those people who might know someone or, in fact, are, you know, they, they think they need it for themselves, what would you just say to them now if they're listening to this and they might be just hanging on by the skin of their teeth with whatever their trauma is? And yeah. It could be something just... More recently, caused you know by by business, for example. Yeah. What would you say to them? I think I'm um, I'm a big believer in a problem shared is a problem
0: halved. You know, no matter who it, who it is, mate, just go and tell a stranger on the street and let him take off with it. But just get it out. And I think you know I mean, that's where the sickness. You know, don't be as sick as your secrets. You know, your secrets will keep you sick. You know what I mean? Share it with someone. You know, for me, from from a, an abuse uh, a survivors sort of perspective, i um, you know. Don't sit with that stuff like that, stuff that you're sitting with, that guilt, shame, everything don't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you. Tell someone about it. Because when you tell someone about it, you you know what I mean, you're offloading that backpack of guilt and shame. You're giving it back to its rightful owner. That's the perpetrators themselves. Really big on it. I'm really big on it, man. I've got no problem. People say, "Don't you?" feel – I tell my story mate, as much as I can. Anyone want to hear? It, I'll tell you. Because if I can inspire one person to come forward and tell their story, man, I've had a good day. You know what I mean? And and it's that stuff you talk about doing good in the community. And man, I, I man, I I've had some really beautiful feedback. That's really heartwarming. And that's the sort of stuff that I—that's the thrill I chase these days. Not coming out of a bank, about to get my blow hit and my head blown off by Roger Rogerson and his crew. Um, <laughs> you know, that's—that's that's who would chase him like that. It was I got the tail end of their crew, and they were madmen. And, 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 and you know, I get my my thrill comes from just doing, getting nice feedback from someone, you know, who I've changed their lives. I, I in, one, in I can remember one Blake in particular. He was not only being abused, but he was at a boys' home where the pharmaceutical companies were trialing drugs on these kids and this is wow. in australia this is in australia and uh, people find out how to believe but it it's, it's no one and um he wrote me this thing saying i've never had a hero in my life he said but you're my hero he said what you've done for me and, and and for me to to sleep at night with ease and 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 you know what i mean and to sort of have some peace in my life and i was just sort of blown. i was actually got the text on my phone and um And that is a pretty beautiful feeling, man. And I I, I remember last time I went to court, you know, what happened to me was I'd been in jail for four years and um, I was about to go home. I was about, and at two weeks to go, I was parole granted. I decided to put myself in a rehab at four years clean because I realized... I just didn't have a problem with drugs. I had a living problem as well. I needed to get some skills. I learned, needed to know how to play bills. I needed to learn a little bit about technology. I needed to get some skills, and I thought I'd get into rehab. And um, two weeks ago, and I was going to rehab, and the cops was turned up and charged me with six old robberies. And um, bail refused. And then, But by this stage, my compensation claim had come about, and I wasn't far away from getting out. So I, I could afford good re- legal representation. And a big shout out, I got a bloke called Peter O'Brien, who's an amazing lawyer um and i got in contact with him he put a, a, a like a hold on some of my money and, and he got me representation and he, he come up with a plan and he said um we'll get you out on bail and i, I couldn't get bail on shoplifting i've never been i get bail you know what i mean I, and anything like that and um and he said we'll get your bail and i thought mate that's a bit ambitious you know and, and he said we'll get your parole and he said we'll get you, get you into rehab and um went before the magistrates court at central Local, and. The magistrate was filthy saying, you had four years to charge this bloke and you're doing it with two weeks to go, like he, he's due to go home. And he said, I'm going to give you a bail. And I had money for my compensation so I could bail myself out. Went to a rehab up in um, Coffs Harbour. And I'd done the program. I got offered the job, general manager's job on my way out and they offered me 70 grand a year in a Corolla. I said, I'll give me 700 and a Bentley and, and maybe I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> but I always had the intentions of setting up the voices of survivor. I had that from... You know, because what had happened, I'll just I'll back, backtrack a little bit there. I was in jail in Queensland at Mariborough Correctional Centre, and I'm on the telephone. I was talking to the Royal Commission. Now, when you're in a yard, in one of those prison yards, everyone knows, oh, Mark's kid scored fucking two tries at the game on Saturday. They, everyone knows what you're talking about because you've got 50 blokes in a yard, two telephones, and everyone knows what, what everyone else's business on that phone. And So I could see a couple of people getting a bit suspicious of my phone calls because I was talking to the Royal Commission. So I called a yard meeting. I called them all in. I said, I just want you to know, I'm not there talking to the police because if, if people think you're talking to the police, it'd become a very dangerous situation for you. So I'm not talking to the police. I'm actually talking to the Royal Commission about the abuse that happened to me. And, um, you know, and, and once again, I got a bit emotional at the time because it was really confronting. And um, and, um, and I said, it's got nothing to do with police. It's got nothing to do with that. And you know what? And like within an hour, about 15 blokes had come up to I me mean, same thing happened to me. How do we go about it? you know, and thanks very much for doing that and bring it to light. By the time I left that jail, I'd helped 65 blokes and I was getting these notes. You get these notes and they come in, like, because everything's a little note and someone will hide it between his arse cheeks and bring it to you and say, here, yeah. so they need these notes coming out the Oval. If someone calls you out the Oval, it's normally a fight. these, And some big tough guy, like the main head would be out there and go, mate, just going for a walk. And I'm going, fucking, why's the drone? We're going to kick off here somewhere, you know what I mean? He goes, just want to tell you it happened to me too and how do we go about it? And I've had some of the most violent, notorious criminals in jails in Australia. I've been, me, I've been the first port at core from the telling story of abuse. And then, and then I just go, bang. It's like rewind. It's like going, bang, just going back to the source. Okay, that's what I, I understand it now. I understand why you are what you are. It was the abuse happening and you become this violent, notorious person, you know.
1: Russell, you said to me that um, on, the occasion, on the odd occasions, you, especially after the, you tried to help their mate out, recently um you know gets to you and you thought oh fuck this i'm gonna hang up my, my gloves but i think society needs people like you to hang in there
0: mm. there's
1: a lot of people who really need your help yeah and i think that what you've done is uh nothing short of well to be honest probably the word that Comes to me straight up is brilliant, mm-hmm. and I don't mean brilliant in intellectual sense. I just mean bright and shiny, mm-hmm. really brilliant, mm-hmm. like really good stuff. Yeah. So keep it up, mate. Russell Manser, thanks very much for coming to me and talking thanks, to me mate. Talking Thanks,
0: to me. mate. Thanks, mate. Pleasure having you. that being <laughs> on you. Gotta get you on mine now. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistant Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast.